Welcome into the Train with the Best podcast. We're going to dive right into our main topic today. I'm Craig Hoffman with Chris Gores and Lorenzo Alexander. Uh, gentlemen, we talked today about multi-sport training, about not specializing or specializing the effects of doing both. Uh, and, and in terms of skills training, in terms of movement, in terms of any other way that training for one sport in particular can be good or bad and training for multi-sports can be good or bad. I will leave it generically, journalistically unbiased uh, for the intro purposes, Chris. But I think as we dive in, it's going to become pretty clear that training for multiple sports and being a multi-sport athlete on the way up uh, is the way to go. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. I think that what you're seeing a lot of today is young athletes, seven, eight, nine-year-olds being encouraged to specialize in one sport. And I just think that um, that's wrong on so many different levels. Um, and I come from three, three different perspectives as a coach right now, as somebody that works with a bunch of different athletes on all levels, as a parent who has kids that are seven years old and 10 years old. And as a former athlete myself, I just think that at a young age, you know, let them have fun, let them enjoy the game, let them play as many sports as they can. And then once you get to about that high school level, that's about the time where you would want to focus on one sport. Yeah, most definitely. And I totally agree. And I actually kind of fall in that in that same uh, categories that you, that you talked about, being a parent, um, an athlete, um, and then just um, watching people grow up. I think that's the best way about going about it is making sure that you expose your kids and expose yourself to many things as possible because you don't really – especially at a young age, you don't know what you're going to be great at anyway. Right, exactly. I mean, so it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'm a, I am was a baseball player growing up or a football player growing up, so I want my son or daughter to be that. And that's just it where they may be blessed in other ways um, that's going to be more conducive to being successful in another sport. Um, and it kind of played that, that way out in my life. You know, growing up, I played soccer. I played uh, basketball, baseball. And I didn't play football until high school, but I played all, all those sports, played pickup football or whatnot. Um, but it wasn't until high school – uh, probably my junior year where I didn't play basketball. I didn't play that year. I just played solely football, focused on that, uh, made sure I got my scholarship offers. And then my senior year, I picked it up. But it was more just to kind of right. mess around and get out there, stay active. You know, yeah. that senior year, stay engaged. And, you know, luckily we won a state championship. <laughs> oh, so, just had to throw so, that So, you know, there. they added me. They added me back to the puzzle and we won one. They, You know, they were supposed to go my junior year. They didn't. I, I got back on the team and we won it. So they needed that, that tenacious uh, attitude that I brought to to the to the court so yeah yeah for me it was about sophomore year in high school that was when I started to focus solely on football uh, to that point I played football baseball basketball ran track um, and then in sophomore year I didn't play for the school anymore I still played intramural basketball I still ran track in, in the spring because that translated and that just kept me in shape but I didn't start playing exclusively one sport until I got to college that was the first time that I had only played football year-round um but now you're seeing that with seven-year-olds right. that only play one sport year-round. I just, I just think that's just the wrong message for kids on so many different levels. Yeah, and the diff- there are different levels. There's the parenting level of look, go let your kids have fun. But from a, a training and functional level, there are two big things that I think making or when you have a multi-sport athlete that will make them a better all-around athlete moving forward that are really important one is from injury prevention standpoint when you play different sports you have to do different things and you of course every sport is unpredictable but when your body is is able and we talk about you know adaptability and things like that when your body is used to doing different things if all of a sudden 
you're playing football and a basketball movement is demanded out of you. You have to step in a way that is that you don't practice for football, but your body used to for basketball. Your injury risk is way less. And so when we talk about rule number one, do no harm, uh, creating a better rounded athlete who is used to more things and is comfortable moving in different ways is going to be conducive. So let's talk about that first and yeah. then we'll get to my, my second thing. For sure. I mean, athleticism is going to be the foundation for any sport, no matter what sport you're playing. There, there's so, some hard hitting analysis. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's no such thing as right. a there's no such thing as a basketball shuffle and a football shuffle and a soccer shuffle. It's just a shuffle step, right? So, if we just build that athleticism, that's that's important for any kid, any sport, no matter what game that you play. Um, there was recently a, a, a graphic that was out on social media that showed that. 30 out of the 32 first-round picks were, were multi-sport athletes in high school. I agree with the sentiment. As a general rule, I don't necessarily like to use pro athletes as a sample just because it's very skewed. They're, they're not a good sample size if you're going to compare everybody to pro athletes, especially first-rounders. Um, but the research that's out there that I pay more attention to is that kids who do specialize early in one sport are more prone to injury. And you see things like ACL tears, like tennis elbow, like... Uh, shoulder issues, knee issues. Big one in baseball, Tommy John. Tommy John right. surgery has almost become a, a, a when and not an if. And that's more of a coaching issue. You know, you get kids that are elite at that young age and they can right. throw a fastball, they can throw a curveball and or a slider and coaches overthrow them. And, and so that's a, you know, that's but that's specialized because now they're playing fall ball, winter ball, summer yeah. ball, spring ball. Yep. And that's all they do. And you get that overuse because coaches can't, um, can't stand not to put their best out there and just play a game for, you know, eight, nine, ten year olds and just let them get better and develop. Right. And so, yeah, that's a, you know, a, a additional issue on top of the overuse. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's the club sports scene has really, really grown. I mean, it, it, it was, it was big when I was back in high school. It's even bigger now. Right. So you have these clubs that play year round. It's, it's especially in any other sport other than football, your club team matters more. Yeah. Other than football and maybe still basketball, your well, basketball, basketball it's AAU. Your right. high, yeah, but your high school basketball team still matters. Like Chino Hills and Dematha and, and Oak Hill, yeah, they still matter. But when but you, even those are like kind of combo combo club right. versus they're they're AAU know, teams, right? Right, right. You you don't get to go to Oak Hill Academy because you grew up a mile away. You get recruited there. One hundred percent sports factor, right? But when you take a look at the soccer world, it's all about your club. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with, with your school. And, and in fact, some of the elite clubs will prevent you from, from playing for your school because the season coincides with your club season. And if you want to get recruited to go to one of these high-level schools, you got to play for a high-level club team versus your school. Yeah. The other thing that I think crosses over is skill sets and developing skill set. And this is where uh, why people want to specialize, right? Oh, I want to work on my football skills. I want to work on my basketball skills. Well, I think some of the best athletes I've covered and some of the best athletes I've watched and uh, two guys specifically with the Redskins, for instance, come to mind, Deshaun Jackson, Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed has this vicious crossover step that he uses as a route runner that is very natural to him because he grew up playing basketball. Um, I used to work with Chris Cooley, who made a couple of Pro Bowls as a tight end, and he said he couldn't dream of, of running routes the way Reed does. He didn't play basketball growing up. When he would run the same route, this choice route, he would have to run up, think, oh, I have to plant my right foot and cross with my right. left. And for Reed, it's just pop up, gone. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, another guy, baseball player growing up, played outfield. 
And we constantly talk about not just his speed, but his ball tracking ability is super elite, which is something you develop as a baseball player as much as anything um, as a wide receiver. You think of guys in other sports. Steve Nash grew up playing a ton of soccer. His footwork and his vision, uh, you can see that in his basketball game. So I think from a skill set standpoint, a crossover definitely happens naturally. It's not something where you're going you're gonna to necessarily work on it. Be like, oh, I'm going to go catch fly ball so I can become a better wide receiver. No, if you're working on being a better wide receiver, go work on wide receiver drills. But the natural, uh, I guess, secondhand uh, implementation of those skills can cross sports in a way that is extremely beneficial. Right. He just had that natural athleticism. Even you see it with Zoe. I mean, Zoe yeah. can play any sport right now. We can go out there and play softball, play basketball, except for swimming. No, I can't swim at <laughs> all. Swim. I, I sink. I'm too heavy. Bone density, baby. You know, <laughs> bones are heavier than most people's. Yeah, but we could, we could go out there right now and, and play any sport, and Zoe's going to be competitive because he's just a good athlete. He knows how to track a ball. He knows how to do all those things. He knows how to make every single movement. And, yeah, it translates to every sport. So I, I think the, the message for parents out there, because I think a lot of it comes from parents, and it comes for a lot of different reasons, but I don't want you to feel like your kid has to play one sport if they're going to make it pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, and not to say that your kid is going to be a pro athlete. I don't, if I'm telling you that, then I'm giving you the wrong message. Right. But hey, go, go I, play I, pre- I, three sports and you'll be pro in right. one of them. And, and, that, and, that's not, and that's not the message <laughs> right. either. The message is just simply like, well, you are you increasing don't have to your, your odds yeah, I mean, yeah. at that. I mean, you're getting seen. And so maybe a, from uh, 0.001% to 0.003. Yeah, and we're not talking about necessarily D1 either. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's, I mean, you got D2, D3, NAIA, you got so many other things. And yep. some of those other schools may take you as a two-sport two athlete and split yep. your scholarship up. So you, you're essentially increasing your odds in a sense. And then to your, your part, part about um, like Deshaun Jackson, obviously to be a great receiver, he worked out being a receiver. But as far as the wear and tear and not getting burnt out in football, he played b- baseball as well. And now he's working on his ball tracking abilities without taking a hit at the end of the, the catch right. or whatever it may be. So right. that's why you want to do it because each sport gives you uh, its own unique way of working on a skill set. That's right. And some are less physical than, than others. Um, and I think that balance is what makes you, you, you become better. Yeah. It's really all about that balance. You, you miss out on so many other different movements where – if you're just doing the same repetitive movements over and over and over again, then yeah, you lead to that 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 burnout and then also that increased injury risk. So it, it really is all about balance from an athletic training standpoint. But even just from from a parenting standpoint, I hear this everywhere. The number one thing that I hear everywhere I go, and it's the same everywhere I go, is Chris, you don't understand it's so competitive in this area. <laughs> and that's the that's the most nonsense thing I've ever heard because I hear it here in Virginia, I hear it in North Carolina, Florida, New York, California, Texas, everywhere I go, they think that that's the area that's number one. And I promise you, because I know a lot of parents listen to this, I promise you your area is not the area. Right, unless, no matter unless, what unless it's think. California, Northern California. Man, stop. And it's your area, you know. <laughs> But I, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I always tell kids, uh, even when I go to speak to them, you know, high school or whatnot, if we're talking about sports and, and being competitive, don't judge yourself by your, your, your current environment and what you see every day, because there are kids all over this country right. and in some sports in this world, you know, you talk about basketball that you're competing against as well. So it is, it's very competitive, but don't just judge it with that. So you always want to have a work ethic that is the best Right. Beyond. So I, when I grew up, I used to watch kids, and this is kind of on a, a, a totally opposite topic, but just 
follow kids like in Texas, right. Florida, yep. you know, what are they doing? What sports? They're like Tommy Harrison was like one of the big guys coming yep. out and he was my size, but he was a lot faster. So I said, oh, I need to work on my speed or what is he, what sport is he playing? So I used to kind of look at the big spectrum and try to mimic some of the other great athletes and what they were doing. And a lot of them were multi, multi-sports uh, athletes. Yeah. And a lot of times that's how we compared each other, right? Because a lot of the guys that play football also ran track. Right. Yeah. So I would look at these guys and say, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, what's their 100 time, 200 time? What's their long jump? Yeah. Because, you know, that's how it was easy to compare. Yeah. But, but going back to the whole area thing, I promise you. If your kid is a soccer player, I promise you Real Madrid and FC Barcelona, they're not looking at Loudoun County as the number one county in the world. I promise you that. Pro- probably not. Not not going to be able to find that on the map. <laughs> yeah. But if your kid's that good, uh, word gets around. And yeah. so just, if your kid is that good, he'll be found. He, he's going to be found anyway. Yep. yep. You just got to, you know, it, it's being the best that, that you can be in that particular sport or having your kid be the best they can be, which leads directly and nicely into uh, the next question I have. Uh, Chris, you you talked a lot about, you know, for instance, the reason you don't like that first round pick stat is because those are some of the best athletes on earth, period. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing I would say is all, I would use it as proof that it's not a prohibitive factor. Right. Um, and that that's really, I think, all you can take out of that. Yep. But the process of developing the raw athletic skill set into a refined athlete because you have to be so technically sound to play at a professional or even yep. a college level, even if it's NAIA, nevertheless D1. So when you think of the the timeline from when a kid is seven, eight years old and you're like, wow, my kid can run faster than the other kids to, all right, I need him to be uh, or her to be an exceptional fill-in-the-blank player, uh, fill-in-the-blank obviously with the sport, how does that timeline progress in terms of becoming specialized in a way uh, or not specialized even uh, to develop the skill sets over the course of years uh, to create the most or to maximize someone's athletic ability. So for me, as as a trainer, I'm going to tell you probably around 13, 14 years old. That's when the the skill sets and the motor skills really start to refine and you can really start to work on things. Because even if even if you've never played basketball ever in your life and your kid plays basketball, you're probably going to beat them until they're about 13, 14 years old, where, the, where their motor skills start to take over. So at about 13, 14 years, years old as a trainer, I would tell you that's, that's when you would want to teach that specialization and really start to refine the skills. As a parent, I'm going to say go off of the kid. If your kid really loves it, then sure, give it to him. Like my daughter really fell in love with softball. So yeah, we got her a net and a tee and she goes out there and she, she gets her swings in every day. But that's because she loves it. She asks me for that. Right. I'm not the one telling her, hey, you need to go out here and swing 200 swings a day if you want to win a gold medal. Like that's not, that's not part of it. So you have to feed into your kid. And I get that because I've, I've trained athletes now that, that only played one sport growing up. And for them, it was because they love the game. So I understand that. There's... There, there are those kids out there that just want to play soccer or just want to play basketball. Exactly. And then, and then with that, all you do is just make sure you get something in there to balance that out. So that's not always just basketball. Get, get something in there to make sure that they're doing other things. Get some stretching in. Get some, um, some other running in, some biking in. Just do other stuff. They don't have to do it competitively, but right. just do other stuff. Yeah, and I think that's key, you know, uh, understanding your kid and not trying to live vicariously through them. Uh, but really seeing where their passions lie. And, you know, it's easy for me to go out and just make Mason, my, who's my son, and, and, and my other son football players. Um, but they're so gifted in other things. I, like Chris is saying, I'm just trying to see where each one wants to be because each child is different and then try to pour into them 
the way they want to. I mean, my oldest daughter really doesn't even like she's athletic, but she doesn't like to sweat. So she, you know, so it's kind of <laughs> like oh, she's not going to be doing sports like soccer or football. She's more of a dancer, more of a, a theater mind. So I'm pouring into her where I see her, what, where her passions are. And I think that as parents, we have to make sure that we do that. And not, you know, I'm always self-checking myself because I promise myself, I never want to be one of those parents. Exactly. And even at like flag football, yep. you can see it. You can see parents. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, this is not this serious. And we hear one parent, oh, it's always serious. I'm like, no, it's not. No, we're this, we're this, six and seven out here. We're trying to have fun. Yes. <laughs> Teach them the idea of the game, you know. That's but it. the most important thing is to have fun competing. So NFL football player just me. staring, being like, "Really? <laughs> right? This so, is serious?" It happened. That happened this weekend. So, so Zoe's son and my son play on the same flag football team, and 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 they just go out and they just have fun. A lot of times, like after the game, I'm asking Marcelo. I'm not asking him like how many flags did you pull or you know did they win or what the score was. I'm asking him, did you have fun? Were you a good teammate? Did you give everybody high fives? Like those are the things that I just want right. you to learn as a seven year old kid, right. right? You know. But yes, we were out there and it was like, oh, it's always serious. And I looked at Zoe and I was like, no, no, there's levels to this. There's levels to this. There's you don't want us to turn this on because yeah, there's, I, there's a whole nother yeah. level. <laughs> right. There's a whole nother level of Zoe that I see every day that we we don't need to see that on a seven year old flag football team. No. No, when your when your livelihood depends on it, then it becomes well, serious. A little bit different, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, so, playing one sport or, or playing any specific sport is going to then present challenges from a training perspective. Um, and one of those challenges is inequalities. If you are a yep. right-handed thrower and you play a throwing sport, uh, you are going to need to train that right side in a way that you're not going to waste time training your left. Yep. Um, if you're a basketball player, same thing. Uh, the shots, you know, if you're a hockey player, a lacrosse player, you're going to yep. want to be really strong twisting one way and you might not care as much about the other, yep. um, especially in hockey. I guess lacrosse, you can switch, but hockey, not so much. Yeah, uh, I think baseball, volleyball. Volleyball yeah. is another one yeah. that uh, is very one-sided. So golf, how, how, do you, how do you handle um, you know, the body wanting to be balanced and, and in theory everything wanting to be perfectly symmetrical versus the reality of, of sport where – you are right-handed or left-handed and, and play accordingly. Number one, I always, there's always going to be an imbalance. Nothing is ever going to be perfect 50, 50. That's just not going to happen. So you try as much as you can to get it close, but you know, everybody's got a good side. That's just, that's just going to happen. And those asymmetries are what you want to identify because what you don't want to happen in, and I equate this to like a rubber band. If you keep stretching a rubber band, eventually it's going to lose its tension and it's going to break. Right. So if you're always turning one way, eventually those muscles that are stretching when you're turning that way, those muscles lose their tension and eventually you get injured or you hurt yourself. Right. So we just have to if you're always turning to your right, we have to train you to turn back to the left so that we get that symmetry. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important. Um, and even as an athlete, I know my 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 um, in symmetries where, you know, obviously one side is stronger than the other. And then, like, sometimes we'll have drills where I may have three or five reps, odd reps. So I'll actually work more on my weaker side doing those reps to make sure that I can balance them up. Um, obviously, in football, you're always playing left and right. is not really a, unless you're a quarterback or something. Um, but just making sure that I focus on that side because that those um, those tend to lead to injuries as well. And, that, and definitely that's something that you don't want to have. One of the things you talked about in the bonus pod uh, when we were at works was making sure that you include some single arm. Um, we yep. talked about this before, too. Single arm, single leg. 
uh, stuff in your training. So if you are, and this is a really good thing that we try to tackle for gen pop as well. Yep. Um, if you have the classic, Oh, my left arm is weaker than my right. Yep. When you talk about rep schemes, set schemes, however it is, how would you work on correcting that imbalance more specifically? Yeah, so for what Zoe was just talking about, Zoe was talking about specific skill work type stuff where right. we're, we're doing footwork. So, yes, I'll, I'll make sure that we maybe get a few extra reps um, going from one side to the other side because the the, the fact is that he's going to miss. Tech, like He's going to either hit the target or miss the target or hit the skill or miss the skill, and he's going to miss a few times on his non-dominant side. So we'll get a few extra reps. When it comes to the weight room, I do not – I do not mix the sets. Every set is going to be equal on the on the one side and the other side. So if I'm training right leg and left leg, it's going to be equal. I'm not going to adjust the weight. I'm not going to add reps. And it, that just goes back to the adaptation principle, right? Your body adapts to the stress that you put on it. If your left side is weaker than your right side, and we did the exact same weight, and we did the exact same reps, it's going to be more stressful on the weaker side. So you're already... You're already training that side a little bit more than you're training your dominant side. There's no need to add extra reps because then then you're just you're playing with it too much and then it's going to skew one way or the other. So I like to keep everything even and then just keep track of everything just to make sure that, all right, we're at least trending in the right direction where this is going to eventually even out. That's right. really interesting because I, I've been told double up the reps on the weak side. But if you think about it from the adaptation principle, that makes that makes total sense because the workload you're going to create on the one side, the weaker side is going to wind up being more natural. It's already more stressful. Right. right. Yeah. And I won't, my weight won't move up even on my good side, unless my, let's say my right leg can keep up with it. So it, right. it's naturally controlled. It's not like it's going to get huger. Like, okay, now let me do one twenties on my left and I only, well, I only can still stay at 100. So I'm going to stay right here. Right. I'm yep. constantly moving up and it's all based on obviously your weakest link in your body. Yep. That's yep. really interesting. Other challenges that you think about uh, in specialization as, as even at the level he's at, at that Zoe's at, when, when he's training now football, obviously, uh, all year long because you, you play it professionally, uh, you have the ultimate reason to be specialized. What are some of the challenges uh, so I think of that, training? So that in, in addition to the, the asymmetries in movement, you also have the inequalities in what we call those energy systems developments, mm. right? So if Zoe is always in one energy system, like he's always in that sprint, stop, sprint, stop, yep. I have to take him out of that and put him into a more aerobic base type of training. Because I know that if we if we finish out that cycle, like if we, if I take a look at it and he says, all right, he's always getting zone five type stuff. Let's go into zone three and train there. I know that's going to help zone five, right? Yeah. Versus I get a soccer player who can run for 90 minutes for forever, but they can't blast out a six-second sprint. So for them, I'm doing the opposite, right? They're always in zone three, zone four. So I'm trying to take them into zone five getting into more max effort type of sprints uh, from an energy systems development standpoint. So on that level, yes, that's, that's where it starts to, you start to balance out not just the movements, but also, you know, how we, how we train their energy systems. Yeah. And I would say, even as a professional athlete, I'm not, I don't specialize. I, I specialize in one sport, but I'm still a multi-sport athlete. I mean, I still get out there and do cycling and Pilates. Uh, you see some guys play basketball in the off season just to change up what you're used to doing as your, you know, nine to five job as far as being a football player. One of the funniest things I can ever remember um, in terms of ESD inequalities 
is Brandon Marshall, receiver Brandon Marshall, not linebacker Brandon mm-hmm. Marshall, uh, when he went on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. And he was gassed. Yes. It's like a 90-second dance routine. And the the host of the show goes, aren't you a professional athlete? Like, why are you dead? And he's like, the, the longest play of my life is eight seconds. Right, right. This is, this is a totally different animal. Um, and that's why, you know, as we talked about on the cardio and conditioning episode, there's no shape that can replace playing the sport. Uh, because you can go out and you know run for 90 minutes, for instance, for a soccer player. All right, hey, go go run around for 90 minutes. Uh, go for a run. Go run, you know, up and down a field. Whatever you want to do. But the mix of all right, you need to be able to summon a sprint uh, to go after a ball versus just your your casual. I'm moving around the field. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. Or for you. All of a sudden, you're in two minute, and and those sprints are coming faster and faster, um, and you need to be able to sustain at a higher level. Um, there's really no substitute for that. But again, we have a whole episode. I believe that was episode eight that you can listen to on yeah. cardio and conditioning. Yep, that's right. But yeah, and like what, what Zoe was saying, you know, everything is so specific to the sport, and and the athletes get so fine tuned with the the type of sprints that they're doing that when you take them out of it, like what you were just saying with, with Brandon Marshall, it's, it's like a completely different world for them. They might, they're just as novice as everybody else. Yeah. And he's thinking about it. Yeah. You got to take that. I mean, he's no longer just out there. just running routes just naturally. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's more stressful for him because the of the brain activity in his life. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. So, so if, if you, if you put him in a zone where he's always doing six second, eight second, 10 second sprints, He's good with that. He's going to do that forever. But if he has to do a two-minute sustained effort, that's that's something completely different for him. Um, similarly, like a couple of years ago, LeBron was in the finals against San Antonio and the AC was out. Mm-hmm. LeBron is so fine-tuned. He's the most dominant, most put-together athlete there is, maybe besides Russell Westbrook in the NBA. But if you change the temperature a few degrees, that throws everything off. He's not He's not conditioned for that. That's yeah. not what he's. That's not what he's built for. Right. Yeah. And that makes it. I mean, even you know, us playing in the weather. You know, going down to Miami or playing in the dome. Um, you know, it's a huge difference to your environment as well. Plays a, a big right. part in that and how you're able to function. Yep. So you, you have to you have to try to balance that out as much as you can um, in, in training. But you also understand like this is what makes that athlete great. So don't ruin that. Then try to com- try to complete the cycle. I say. With, with everything else. Yep. The more well-rounded you are, the better. It's Absolutely. never going to hurt to have more in your toolbox, uh, whether it's in some of the other stuff we talked about as a trainer or, obviously, as an athlete. Any more questions on this, we're always happy to answer. You can tweet us at Trainer Gorez, at Craig Hoffman, at One Man Gang 97 uh, You can also, uh, for longer questions, hit Chris up on Instagram, at Trainer Gorez. Uh, Want to make sure before the end of the episode, you got an event coming up in a couple of weeks in Richmond? That's right. May 20th and May 21st. May 20th is an invite only. Um, I've got some coaches that we're going to help develop on the business side. But May 21st, uh, down in Richmond at the U-Turn Sports Facility, uh, at the Onyx Facility, we are going to be doing a, a basketball-specific strength and conditioning clinic. Me and my good friend Alan Stein will be there um, just to kind of go over different principles uh, for, for training basketball players in season, off season, preseason, injury prevention, speed, agility, everything that goes into building the athleticism for a basketball player. That will be again, May 21st down in Richmond, Virginia. And I'll be posting some stuff this week to let everybody know how to register and everything else. There you go with the pure sweat family there. Always good work by them. 
All right, so that's our episode for this week. For Chris Gores and Lorenzo Alexander, I'm Craig Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the Train with the Bus podcast.